Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment. Sponsored by Tech Help Boston. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to forge a career in media? Ever wondered what skills you need to be successful? What are the hours like? How long does it take to establish yourself in what we will all agree is a very competitive industry? Today's story just might check all those boxes. The woman you're about to meet knows what it's like to be on both sides of the camera, as a producer and as a reporter. She's still climbing that ladder as she's got lots of stories to tell. Her name is Cassie Arsenal, and this is her story. Cassie, welcome to the story behind her success. Thank you so much for having me, Candy. I am just so excited to be on this podcast. It's really great. You just premiered an empowering series about women. I'm so pumped about this. It's called Boss Town. So tell me about the series and the stories you want to tell. I really wanted to do something meaningful that I would watch. And I think that's the problem, right? We're not always doing things that we would watch. At this point in my life, I knew a lot of women in and around Boston, as you do, that are just killing it. They are taking whatever their passion is and starting it from scratch because they have all these platforms, right? They have social media. You can start a business from nothing and get your name out there. It's a really cool world we're living in right now. And I thought, okay, I know all these amazing women and I cover the news of our community, which is so important, but I don't always get to feature women that I think are special every Tell day. Tell the longer story. It's really been therapeutic for me to hear these women's stories from beginning to end. And we're all looking to be inspired, right? I mean, wellness never goes out of style. We're always trying to be better, our better versions of ourselves. So I said, why aren't I featuring these women that already make me want to be better and might inspire someone else that is afraid to start something without the permission that someone gives you or you think you aren't good enough? These women are the prime examples that you're good enough. All you have to do is start, right? And I thought if we could create a series to just inspire women to start whatever they want to do, it doesn't have to be starting your own YouTube series. You know, it could be starting that business, going for that side hustle of selling makeup on the side. It can be anything. My mom was so supportive of me, but I wish more authoritative figures in my life told me that you can do it. And how can people watch the series? Boss Town is on our YouTube page. You can go follow my YouTube page, Cassandra Arsenal. You can find it there. Um, We launch every Sunday at 7 p.m. on YouTube. We show it 24 hours later on Instagram TV at 10 a.m. on Mondays. So you can find it there, too. And my Instagram handle is at Cassie Arsenal. So you can go there. If you are in media, in my opinion, you are a storyteller. I think that is the number one skill you need. Do you agree or disagree? I absolutely agree. I think of myself as an artist first. I've always been a performer and a creator. I think storytelling is that. Writing is a form of meditation for me. And sitting down and thinking about beginning and middle and end and how that's going to come together in crossroads and you tie it up in a nice bow so that you have that overarching theme. I absolutely think to be in media, it's more storytelling than anything else. If you're a good storyteller, you will be good in media for sure. What makes for a great story? I think what makes for a great story is having compassion. I really believe when you sit down and interview with someone, a lot of people are really worried about getting the questions out and getting the answers. But these are humans. And sometimes I meet people on their worst day. It's terrible and terrifying because you know, as a human, that what they're going through, you can't say, I understand. 
to be compassionate, that's when you get your best answers. You have to treat them like a human. You have to sit them down and, and admit, hey, I have no idea what you're going through. And I know you might not want to see me today, but this person that meant so much to you or this thing you're going through, you might be able to help someone else. Do you want to tell that story? And if you do, I'm here to help guide you through that. You always need to be compassionate. You need to be interested. And, and I think that's forgotten sometimes in the deadline world I live in. I always try to remind myself at the beginning of each day, this is a real human. This is a real person. This is a real story. Let's be as compassionate as possible. Try to put ourselves in their shoes so that we tell the best story. We ask the best questions. Because if you're not asking the best questions, you're not going to get the best answers. You're not going to be able to tell that story in a real way. You know, what I've noticed in my experience as an interviewer is that I need to be a keen observer of human nature. I love that. And the other thing is, you know, as a reporter or as an interviewer, you have this big, long list of questions. And when you first get started, sometimes in your mind, you're like, I have to get to this one and this one and this one and this one because these are all my questions, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes you just have to shut up and listen. And the person that you're interviewing might take you to a whole different place. Exactly. I love that you say that. It's so funny because even at this point in my career, I'm reading a book right now. It's called Find Out Anything from Anyone, and it's by a former FBI agent. He just basically tells you that there's good ways to ask questions. And one of those things is to shut up and listen. <laughs> you know, like just listen to what they're saying because that's going to be your next best question. Did you always know, Cassie, what you wanted to do with your life? When I was little, I wanted to go to New York. That's all I knew is I wanted to be in New York City. And I did that. But while I was there, you know, I started in producing and I, I always wanted to be on camera. I've always had a presence for it. And I, I, that sounds so narcissistic. No, that's cliche. actually a fact. Some people <laughs> telegraph well and some people don't. So yeah. There you so go. I've always liked performing. Yes. This was a way that I could do it and combine it with the skills that I had, which was my love of writing. But I knew I didn't want to be a writer. I didn't want to be a novelist. Um, and I knew I wanted to go to college. Like, I wanted to go and learn more. So I knew that just because I like to perform, I knew acting or something like that wasn't for me. I'm pretty sure I was, like, seven years old, and my mom was like, well, why don't you be a meteorologist? <laughs> and I was like, well, we both know that I'm not good at math. So that can't like, – even in first grade, I was having trouble with decimals and multiplying. <laughs> you know, I would come home in tears because I was so upset that I didn't understand so I'm like, that's probably not in the cards for me. So I did know from a very young age that I wanted to be a journalist. And you're going to laugh at this. I actually interviewed Liz Bruner in my eighth grade project. I still have the folder. It was in the midst of 9-11. I interviewed her over the phone and over email. And I still have that book report. And Liz Bruner and I work together for Bruner Communications. And she is literally considered a TV icon yeah. in Boston. And she's such a good woman. Yeah. It's often a long road in the media broadcast field. So let's start with college. You went to NYU. It's hard to get into for media. Tell us about your experience there. You wanted to go to New York City. You got your wish. I worked really hard and I had an amazing guidance counselor at Lemonster High School. I'm a Massachusetts native and he wrote me an extra recommendation. I still think that's what got me in. New York's a tough city. Like I'm not going to sit here and say it was an easy transition. I love the city, but Growing up in a small town, it was hard to adjust. But from there, I knew I wanted to seize on the opportunities, right? I'm in the mecca of media. I had an internship every semester from like CBS Radio to MTV to 2020. And that's really where I got my first job from all those internships. College was a good boot camp. 
a lot of wealthy people and well-to-do people get to go to NYU, and I wasn't in that 1% of our population. So aside from having all these internships, you know, you have to really juggle it all. But that was a good lesson for me in multitasking and and working hard because I had a job. I had the internship. I was president of my sorority. Like I really tried to have a little bit of it all, which was a good lesson in learning that don't spread yourself too thin. So that was my first lesson. And you really need that when you go into media. You can't spread yourself too thin. You landed a job on Good Morning America as the live producer for Lara Spencer. Describe the interview that led to the job. So funny. I didn't even have an interview. I was interning there. One of my mentors said, she's going to need a live producer. So you start start writing your scripts. Don't ask anyone to do Just take the initiative and do it. And I was so scared because I said, no, like someone has to give me that job. They have to tell me that's what I, I can't just step on people's toes. She's like, no, honey, this is network TV. You step in and do it and you own it. My timid little self started <laughs> you put your big girl pants yeah, on. started writing her scripts, going in there, and you still have a lot of assistant duties too. It was a great first job. It was tough. I mean, she's a t- very talented woman, but she's tough. I was working, I'm not kidding you, like 18-hour days, getting four hours of sleep and going back to the studio and then the next day. But, you know, I knew that this was an opportunity I couldn't let go of as much as it was difficult. I had so much to prove. And I had all of these big executives above me, not really noticing me yet, but I wanted to be noticed. I figured if I could be a good live producer for Lara, then that has to open the doors for me eventually for something else. What did you learn from watching Lara work? What was her work ethic? Was she generous in sharing her work ethic with you and and some mentoring she was demanding. She expected a lot from me. And I'd like to believe that's because she believed that I could give a lot. I got a lot of thick skin built over that job. I appreciate it now that she didn't dumb down the job for me. She didn't hold my hand and say, it's okay, sweetie. You know, I had to learn on the job. And that's what she expected from me. It took me a few years after that to understand that it was a blessing in disguise. Because at the moment when someone's being tough on you, you want to think it's because they don't understand what you're going through. No, that wasn't it. She believed that I could pick it up quick and she expected the best for me because she expected the best. Her work ethic is unparalleled. I don't know how she did it. She has two kids. She has a love for tennis. She has a social life. She's doing Good Morning America and then her HGTV show and going back and forth from LA doing all of this entertainment stuff. It was truly incredible. And I think I learned that, hey, if you want to be in this business, you got to be able to take that tough criticism and fly and not let it bring you down. You got to take it, soak it up, cry at home and get to work and do your best. Soon afterwards, you moved to Nightline. You had the chance to work with Cynthia McFadden, award winning journalist, role model for so many women in broadcast. Tell me about that job and that experience. I absolutely loved this job. Working at Nightline, they believed in their young people because at the time I was probably like 21 or 22 years old. I was considered to not have a lot of experience. But the one thing they let us do is pitch. So I came in every day with a pitch idea. For sweeps, they let every single person on the staff participate. 
So you better believe I was writing my pitches and they let me go out. They let me go out. I'd never picked up a camera before, produce my own stuff, balance a budget, stuff that a 22-year-old should probably not do, but they gave us the responsibility to do it. And I got to do the coolest pieces like monster truck moms, extreme bachelorette parties, some really fun stuff. With that, I also learned from Cynthia. She is one of the most incredible investigative journalists with her law degree. She is such an impressive woman. She has a huge network of impressive women. And I was so, so happy to be a part of some of those investigations. Like she discovered the Camp Lejeune water that was poisoning numerous families and really made that an issue to never have that happen again, especially to the families that are serving our country. That should never have happened. She's the person that just probably like you and most good journalists She's researching. I'm giving her binders of work to go home and study before her interviews. Whether it was Madonna or Taylor Swift interviewing Erin Brockovich, she was just as prepared. And she never came in pretentious. That's something I saw a lot of correspondents do. They came in above the person. She didn't try to, like, jump in and show you how much she knew. She was really just there to pull the best stuff from her interviewees. And To watch her put together a story was probably my first access into, okay, this is how a professional does it. We listen to all the tapes. We log everything. We have meeting after meeting. They don't skimp when they're putting together their stories at Nightline. But I learned so much from her that I still carry with me today. It was like an honor to work for her. At this point in your career, your work had not been in front of the camera, Mm -hmm. like you said. You've been learning from Lara. You're learning from Cynthia McFadden. You're assisting other women in those roles. And I think you were trying to be like a sponge, which is what I started to do when I got into radio. When you decided to take that leap and go for something where you were the person who was on camera, did you just know it was time that you were ready? Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted TechHelpBoston.com since the year 2000. Dave Elmazian, president of TechHelpBoston, with the reasons why. We like to establish a relationship with our customers, and the best way to do that is see them in their natural setting, so to speak, and that's in their home. We come to you, we work with you on your equipment in a setting that's comfortable for you, and also we can test better that way, because if you have a printing problem or whatever, and we bring it to a shop, it may work great in the shop, but might not work in your home. So this way we know for sure everything is working the way that it should. TechHelpBoston.com. Their experts will come to your home or office to fix your computer same day, next day, and weekends too. Visit TechHelpBoston.com. That's TechHelpBoston.com. It takes teamwork to put a weekly series like this together. I am so grateful to Jordan Rich and Ken Carberry for giving the story behind her success a home at Shark Productions. And to Dan Tebow, our editor from Fast Twitch Media. J.C. Valeris at Platinum Circle Media, who handles our social media marketing and so much more. Thank you all for making me look so good. This is a big part of my life that I don't tell a lot of people about. I was ready, but I think I was nervous to let people down because everyone was like, oh, your job is so cool. You work at Nightline and Good Morning America. And yes, it was cool and it was great. But I knew in my heart that I wasn't happy. That wasn't my calling. It wasn't what I was supposed to be doing. And I wasn't scratching that itch. For a while, I didn't apply right away because I'm like, I need to be happy with what I have. Who am I to deserve this? 
And it was Cynthia that said, you need to do this now because if you don't, the pay gets higher, the track gets more narrow, and you're not going to want to leave. And that was my best advice. And it made me feel better about jumping because I'm like, she's right. Like, I'm never going to want to leave if I don't do it now. At that point, okay, I'm going to leave my dream city of New York. And if it's meant to be, I'll get back here. You need to take the risk. What's the point if you're not happy? You know, you're not going to do your best work if you're not happy. Yeah, I went for it. (laughs) Courage is when you leave. Faith is when you know you're going to land on your feet. Do you listen to that little voice inside your head? I'm going to be honest with you, not always. It's a hard thing to do, and I admire women that follow it. I want everyone to know that it's okay to be unsure. It's okay to be scared. Eventually, that little voice does kick in to the point where you can't ignore it anymore, and I'm working on it. I think someday I'm going to get there, but I don't always listen to it the first time. That little nagging voice has to nag at me at least 15 times for me to finally realize, okay, Cassie, Did that voice prove to you enough that it's time to move forward? I'm still working on trusting my gut more. Many people think that you can start at the top, and that happens very, very rarely. Most of the time, you have to earn your stripes. And heading into smaller markets is where the experience comes from. Tell me about your time in a small market in Monterey, California, and then on to Michigan. Monterey, California was... It's a dream location. If you're ever looking to retire somewhere, it is beautiful. But the station I was at was, how should I put this? Skeleton. Uh, There's not a lot of people that work in small stations. It's usually a shoestring budget. You are doing everything. It was the greatest boot camp. That should have been my college experience. I was shooting, editing, making my own calls, driving the van. I like to call it a Pope van. It was a very unattractive van, but I could plug in my laptop in the back and edit it and I had a little seat and running my own live shots. I did everything. And not only was I doing a story for the five and the six o'clock news, but the rule at my station was it had to be two different topics. So I was in Monterey for the first half of the day and Salinas, which is an hour away the second half of the day or Santa Cruz. I had no one to depend on, and I wasn't on camera before this, so I was terrible. That's why it was. Do you have the tapes to prove it? No, I'm I have the tapes to prove it. Let me tell you. I called a mountain. I will just say this now because I'm credible now, but I called a mountain lion a tiger on air for my first live shot because I was so nervous. This is why they say you have to start a small market, because if I had started somewhere bigger and I made mistakes like that, my career would have been over. You have to get your reps in somewhere else. You have to get polished. I truly believe I'm a better journalist because I went through the boot camp. I'm not convinced that people that move fast up the ladder get those intricate skills that you need. It was not glamorous. Oh, my God. I was sweating all the time. (laughs) I was dropping tripods and trying to get my framing right while I'm interviewing people. I was a mess. Looking back on it, I'm like, wow, how rewarding is it to know? I still can't believe some of the stuff I ended up getting on air with the small amount of time that I had. It was truly incredible. Do I want to go back there? No, but... I'm very thankful that I had that boot camp because I truly needed it. When you got to Michigan, you got a chance to do some more investigative reporting. Talk about that a little bit. I was so honored. I got to be on, it's called the Problem Solvers Team, and it was a consumer investigative unit that basically just found justice for community members that couldn't get it themselves. That was rewarding to me because I loved going through the emails of people that needed help, talking to real people, and 
People in West Michigan, they are so nice. I kind of didn't fit in there because I had this East Coast sarcasm vibe that doesn't jive well in the Midwest. I learned really quickly to like get rid of the sarcasm. It's not as appreciated as it is on the East Coast. I loved doing this investigative unit. I mean, if you're talking about helping people, I saw results weekly. We were able to uncover the fact that Michigan was unfairly billing people for their electric bills and back paying. And we actually got new legislation. We got them to launch an internal investigation and find out, hey, we can't make these people back pay. And and I know it seems like a simple thing, right? I know a lot of people always think they're getting ripped off by your electrical company. But in this case, it was true. There was one case where there was a mom. She had four kids, single mom. And she had a back pay of like thousands of dollars. And to just see that relief that she wasn't going to have to pay it anymore, just to see the relief was just so satisfying to me. That's really what I got into journalism for. And I know a lot of people will tell you the same thing. We want to save the world, right? (laughs) But people forget to tell you you're not going to see those results every day. You might not even see them months at a time. You know, you talked about having to lose a little bit of your East Coast sarcasm, but there is no place like home. You clicked your heels together three times. You came back to Boston. What do you love about the Worcester area, the Boston area? What is it that you love about being home? I thought a lot about this because I wanted so badly to get out of here and go to New York and and go to California and go to all these places. And then the homesickness kicked in. There's really nothing like New England. I love Boston accents. I love our grit. I love how intense we are about sports. I love that we all care about what we care about to the hundredth degree. In terms of being back to my Lemonster, Worcester roots, I love the Worcester area, the home of Johnny Appleseed, the plastics capital, and I think they now changed it to legendary Lemonster. The people there are so nice. It feels like home. There's something about where you grow up, you know, knowing all the streets. I am thankful to go back. I'm just so glad that my ambitions were formulated there from my teachers and my family and the people who really want to see me succeed, and I want to see them succeed, and it's a mutual love, so I love being back there. You are working on a freelance basis at NBC10. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? Walk me through your day a little bit. I'm a freelance reporter there. I work five days a week. Uh, Right now I'm working Tuesday through Saturday, if you want to tune in. I go in every day, I pitch a story. We have a morning meeting, and I pitch what I'd like to do for the day. That's not always what you're going to get to do. They have an agenda, too, on communities we need to cover in terms of geography. We need to have an even keel of who we're covering, what we're covering, and then what's going on that day. We all need to be listening to this information. I'm here to give you all the information you want so then you can make a decision about your life. That's really my job. We're called outdoor cats. We're always out on the scene. We are knocking on your doors. We're going to the town hall. We're going to court. We're at your community events. We're going wherever the news is that day. I gather all the information I can. I write my scripts, and then we present it to you at the end of the day. It's very rare we get more than one day. I'm pitching, getting my assignment, driving out to the area, getting all my interviews, writing, And my editor is putting it on air for what you see at four, five, and six o'clock. And you are an outside cat. (laughs) Yes. Or an outdoor cat. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. I've never heard that expression before. There you go. Big stories. There is such a huge responsibility that comes with reporting this kind of news. When people are feeling scared or vulnerable or angry, how do you see yourself in these situations? Sometimes I have imposter syndrome, to be honest with you. 
Like, I think people forget we're humans and I get really nervous. I get really choked up because I try to think, what would I do if a reporter was going to ask me right now for information? The thing that makes my heart feel the best, because you do have to draw a line between doing what the news needs you to do and being a human to your fellow community members, because I'm a community member first, right? I love when I get messages from them saying, thank you for being so kind and respectful. Some people have said we're kind of like a vulture culture, and I don't want us to be known as that because that's really not what any of us want to do. I'm going to give a good name to our industry. Can we talk just a little bit about your upbringing? Because I'm going to guess that some of these values come from the way you were raised. Tell me a little about your family. You're the oldest of four? Yeah, so I'm the oldest of four. Me and my siblings are super close. I have two nephews now and a niece, so I love being an auntie. I wanted them to know who Auntie Cassie is, so that was a big decision in coming home. My mom and dad are wonderful. My dad's a small business owner. He owns a moving and storage company in Lemonster. He's always showed me what it's like to work hard and not give up because there's a lot of no's in our industry. I get told no almost every other day. So you kind (laughs) of got to like be relentless and keep going. And he taught me that. Don't quit. And I know that's so cliche to say, but when things are going bad, you just have to self-talk and say, don't quit. You got to keep going. You can do this. And my mom is so lovely. She is just, we call her a care bear in my family because she's the complete opposite of me. She was a nurse and she actually retired to take care of all of us. They call them stay-at-home moms, but I don't believe that. My mom does a lot of work and she deserves a paycheck for the work that she does. She is a care bear. She has always rooted us on. She's really proud of us. She never put pressure on us. And I think that helped for someone like me that puts pressure on myself where I want to crack sometimes that she knows. And another good thing that they did, they all made us think we're the favorites. So when you are not reporting for NBC 10 or being an auntie to some of your nieces and nephews, what are you doing? What are your favorite pastimes? Two years ago, at the age of 27, I started to take piano lessons. So I had my first piano lesson with all like six year olds. And I love it. That's something I like to do to unwind. I love to read because I just always want to know more, more, more. Podcasts are a huge thing of mine. Highly suggest this one. And of course, you're going to subscribe to this one and tell everybody about it. I will. It's so good, you guys. You really need to listen to all these other episodes. They're so inspiring. And then besides that, you know, I like to You like danger. I hear about adrenaline is your middle name. I know. I love it. I love to try something new every year on my birthday. Last year it was paragliding. I've gone skydiving, bungee jumping, zip lining. I just like to try anything that gives me a little danger. I mean, as I'm getting older, I realize, you know, okay, maybe we won't repeat these things. We'll just say we did them once. One and, and done. Yes. But there's something about just feeling free, like that adrenaline rush. And that's how I feel sometimes before I go live. So it's probably like I'm probably addicted to it now. But I really love just doing something that sets me outside my comfort zone. I like to be scared every once in a while because that's kind of how I live my life. If it scares you, I do it. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received, Cassie? Don't let a timeline ruin your goals. I was so worked up about where I needed to be at a certain age and how people viewed me right now. And I'm not where I'm supposed to be and I'm not moving as fast as I should be. That really cripples your enjoyment of just loving the moment and really enjoying your journey. And it's something I'm still learning. So I know all of you out there that are listening to this that are probably 
not where you want to be or rolling your eyes like, oh, how many times have I been told to enjoy the journey, not the destination? But it's so true. Until I slowed down and started really journaling, writing my goals down, figuring out what is actually important to me, that one goal that I had at 22 can actually be achieved in different ways. And I don't have to be mad at myself that I'm not there yet. And so for anyone out there that's a woman that's struggling and you're like, I'm not there yet. Well, neither am I. I might never get there. But the important thing is to just work with what you have and don't let people dictate your timeline. It doesn't matter. When an obstacle is in my way and I've been told no, 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 I sit and listen and I say, how can I be an asset in a different way? Okay, so I don't fit this role. How can I manipulate this in a real way to be like, okay, well, I still have value. I can do something in a different way. A great example of that is Boss Town. Like, I can't do that in my everyday job. My job is to do the general assignment of the day. So why can't I do it on my own? And I just found another way. You are still climbing, obviously, to get to where you want to go. And you're not going to adhere to any timeline. You're just going to let it all unfold. We do have chapters in our lives. And if I had asked you this question five, six, seven years ago, you'd probably have a different answer. But right now, in this moment... What does success mean to you? To be happy. I never put happiness with my career before. It didn't matter how I got there. I was just going to get there and worry about happiness later. What I was never thinking about was that if I'm not happy now, I'm not going to be happy when I get that dream job. You have to work on it every day. I didn't believe that. I thought you just were happy and it just came naturally. That's not true. You really have to seek out What makes you joyous? It's so true when they say, there's plenty of perspectives. So what's your perspective gonna be? I don't wanna spend another day not being happy. So I'm gonna just own it, own what my situation is, whatever that may be at whatever day. I'm only ever gonna be successful if I'm happy because if you're miserable and at the top of your game, you haven't made it yet. I wanna say thank you so much, Cassie Arsenault, for being our guest today on the story behind her success. Thank you for sharing your journey so far as a broadcaster. Thank you so much. Thank you, Candy. This was so fun. Thanks for listening to The Story Behind Her Success with Candy O'Terry. This is a series with one goal in mind, to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. If you'd like to suggest someone for Candy to interview, she'd love to hear about it. Connect with her anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, CandyOterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?